What do you think makes a good parent? What do you think good parenting is? I ask myself that question every day, right? Like I wake up in the morning and this is what I say to myself. How can I be a better father today? Welcome, Book Society Podcast. We're here with Rodrigo Rivera Debre. Rodrigo has a beautiful name and is Latino and is amazing and is a writer and was born and raised on the west side of Los Angeles, California. But that's not the most interesting thing about our guest today. He is the author of Urban Politics, the Political Culture of Sewer 13 Gangs. That came out in 2013. He is the director of Dark Progressivism, which is a feature-length documentary about the Los Angeles street art scene, which I can't wait to talk about. He's been featured as an author in the LA Review of Books, Design LA Magazine, Juxtapose, Joyland, and the Huffington Post, where he's regularly featured as a contributor. So the book that Rodrigo picked today is The Ultimate Stay-at-Home Dad by Shannon Carpenter, which is from Penguin Random House 2021. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a guide to how to be a stay-at-home dad. So we'll start with the question that I always start with, which is why did you pick this book? You know, whenever I do interviews, whenever I speak to people about the work that I do, they often always bring up, how do you do it as a stay-at-home dad? How did that come about? So that question seems to interest people as far as the work that I do and the fact that I'm a stay-at-home dad. So I've just been looking into some nonfiction work in regards to possibly doing something like that myself. And so I wanted to see what this guy's story was about and see if there can be some comparisons there. And it helped kind of like validate my experiences as a stay-at-home dad. You know, some things, it's good for new dads. It's good for people that are trying to connect with other dads who might be disconnected from like a certain type of community or scene. But I'm good. I've been doing this stay-at-home dad for about seven years. So I've gone through all the difficulties and I feel like I'm pretty good at it now. So I might be able to contribute to that genre, you know, and might be able to offer my own advice to other dads also who have that same issue. The fact that it's a manual might be a little too, I guess, rigid. I don't think that you're going to be walking around carrying this book with you and saying, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go to the mall. What do I need? Oh, what did Shannon say I needed to take with me? Like, all those things, you kind of just wing it and you kind of figure it out. I am a dad. I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old. You may hear the three-year-old in the next room at any moment because he's not taking a nap right now, even though he's supposed to be. So I was pretty familiar with some of the stuff in this book. I'm glad that this wasn't like your favorite book that you've ever read because I had trouble getting through it. Sorry to Shannon Carpenter. I think he's a good writer. Clearly, he's a funny writer. The best parts of the book for me were the parts that he claims were the hardest for him to write. I thought that those were really honest. But like you said, like you don't need a manual for being a parent. And also a manual for being a parent is not very useful because you really don't have time to check it when you would need it. Right. We're always just winging it from day to day. When I talk to other parents, when I talk to other dads, talk to other moms, and we're all in the same boat, you know, we're all trying to figure it out as we go along. So yeah, like I definitely had a lot of difficulty with some parts of the story as well. One section that I really enjoyed was the mental health issue. I think that section was the most favorable for me to read and to connect with because, yeah, we sometimes go through that. We don't want to acknowledge it sometimes or there's like a loneliness that sometimes comes up with like being a stay-at-home parent that moms experience as well. I mean, not just dads, but moms also experience that. Although like men are, from what he says in the book, more likely to not talk about it or to not accept it. 
and find other avenues to explore like some of their issues. So to not shit on Shannon too much. And also Shannon Carpenter, if you're listening to this, you are invited on the podcast to yell at me or defend yourself or whatever you want to do. And I'd love to have you and I'm sure you'd be a fantastic guest. But I reject the central metaphor of this book and the central metaphor of his parenting philosophy. And this is something that my wife and I have talked about a lot. And that is child rearing as warfare. You're in this battle against your children and you're trying to win and you're trying to fend off attacks and sorties are coming from the playroom and sallies are coming from the bathroom. And by winning and by defending against your children, you are a hero. This is a very male-centered narrative, which I guess might be something in our society that I think people kind of like as a joke, but it's a little serious and it's a little ridiculous. I mean, I don't feel that way about parenting at all. I also, this was not thrust upon me. This was a path that I chose and I knew that it would be difficult and I knew that it would be difficult in the ways that it is difficult. You know, I don't think you're a hero for being a stay-at-home parent. You're literally doing what every human being before you has done. And I understand that you make sacrifices to do it, but I don't think it makes you a hero. It just makes you a dad. So that was my biggest problem with the whole book. So feel free to disagree with me or pile on. I'm with you on that as well. He kept stating that he was making jokes or that this is a joke. And I just didn't find the humor in there. I didn't see that overall theme of warfare with your children, but I have heard other parents say that and I disagree also. So I'm with you on that one. And same here, like this was a unified effort, right? Like for my wife and I to, have children, to have children at this age, to we agreed to this when she was pregnant that I was going to quit work, you know, and take care of the children. And that was going to be the route for me to take. And I think that was initially the most difficult part for me was right at the beginning. Same thing. I didn't read any other baby books. And had I heard about this book when I first became a stay-at-home dad, I don't think I would have wanted to read it either, you know, because those are things that you just kind of figure out. At the beginning, I would often just kind of call my sister because her and I have a close relationship. So I would always just call her and say like, hey, the baby's crying like this. Do you think it means something like that? Or does it mean that she's sick? Or does it mean that she you know, has to go potty? Or practical advice that you feel like you need somebody else's opinion also who has experienced that and someone that you trust. But like to read a manual from this guy that's totally disconnected from you and tells you, oh, you know, you need to make sure you pack a diaper. You're like, oh man, I never thought about packing diapers for my children. Like, <laughs> yeah. like make sure you pack your diapers and your snacks. And you're like, yeah, I know that. I'm sure every parent knows that part of it. The different parts of the story that went through like checklists, which I've also found problematic, like all these checklists of what to do when you go on a road trip, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the park, when you go on a play date. Also, something that I found very disturbing was when he talked about the archetype of moms and he made a list of the types of moms that he came across. Well, you sound like a creep for just even identifying these moms in that way. Yeah, I thought that that part was a little bit weird when he was identifying the moms. But I think that to some people, this probably was funny. <laughs> I wasn't able to articulate this metaphor of childhood as warfare until really reading this book as the thing that really bothered me about hearing people talk about their childcare life. You know, I have one friend who had kids before us, you know, I would always ask, how's your baby? And he would say, oh, you know, like the first year as an infant is just horrible. It's just difficult. And, you know, you get pooed and peed on and whatever, you know, fair enough. Next year, how's she doing? Oh, you know, terrible twos, right? And I've heard that one too, right? Next year, so how's it going? Oh, now she's a three-nager. 
okay, I guess I've heard that one. And then the next year he said, yeah, she's an FU4. And I was like, yeah, no, you made that one up. I've never heard that one. Like you guys might just be weak parents because you don't know this and podcast listeners don't know this, but I taught preschool for like 10 years. I know that age of children and they're pretty much all delightful, at least some of the time. And sometimes they melt down and have, you know, tantrums like every human being, including adults. So yeah, when I hear people complaining about their children as if they're in some kind of battle with them, it really puts me on edge and it makes me kind of sad for the kids. I told my wife, I said, hey, you know, I have to choose a book for the podcast, but I don't really want to choose a book that has influenced my own work. And one of the reasons why is back in my MFA program, workshopping different books and reading material, it was always a little intimidating to like go up against your classmates and having to defend your perspective on it. I just didn't feel like I had that in me for this because I've been talking about the displaced since it came out a lot. So I didn't want it to cloud my judgment of my own books. I just chose something that was completely different. So I found this book and I said, all right, let's do this book because it's in my life every day anyway. That's interesting. You know, we get all kinds of different book choices on the show. And what I really love is for someone to be an expert in a book and I've read it, but I can just ask them intelligent questions about it. On this show, I'm never really seeking to be right. I'm just seeking to learn about something. I had Jane Smiley on about a year ago, and she picked Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens, which is definitely the most boring book I've ever read in my life. But she loves it, and she has a lot of interesting things to say about it. And I liked it more after discussing it with her. This is also an interesting approach. You know, I think it's good for listeners to hear that as a writer, sometimes you want to stay away from your source material and from your influences sometimes, especially if you're trying to be clear about how you talk about your own work and you're doing the PR for this novel right now which incidentally, I guess you wrote while you were a stay-at-home dad. So you're managing to get some work done. Yeah, I got a lot of work done. Coincidentally, when my first daughter was born, I had joined the MFA program like that same week. So she was born, not even like a few days later, I had to start the MFA program, but it was on weekends. So it was easy for me to step out, you know, for a few hours because my wife doesn't work on the weekends. And then when I was wrapping up my MFA program, my second daughter was born a week before I graduated. So the bookend of like having children in the MFA program, and I had to do all this work on a regular basis while in the program. You know, you have to workshop your material. You have to submit short stories. I wrote like three screenplays during my MFA program. I wrote a bunch of short stories, you know, submitted to prizes and then still having to complete an entire novel, which is part of my thesis, all this in like the MFA program while still being a stay-at-home dad. I learned how to navigate my time. People always say that to me. They always say, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you have the time to do it? I mean, the only thing that comes to mind is like, how do you not do it? I guess if I could do it under these circumstances, I don't know what other people's circumstances are, but you just have to self-motivate. That's just the way that I've always looked at things. You know, if you're motivated enough, like, yeah, you'll find the time. You'll make the time. What do you think makes a good parent? What do you think good parenting is? I ask myself that question every day, right? Like I wake up in the morning and this is what I say to myself. How can I be a better father today? So every day I interrogate myself and I kind of renegotiate with myself. Is there something I could do better today? How can I have a better relationship? And I think it's just being understanding and flexible because that, fluctuates. Sometimes, you know, your kids get on your nerves and you're like, oh, how do I handle this today? I didn't handle it so well. 
you know, maybe today I was stressed out about something and I didn't handle it well. And then so you go into it the next day. So every day you have the opportunity to be a better person. And if you're aware of that, I think you can make better decisions for your children because you're more understanding. I wrestle with this issue every day. So like I said, just being more understanding. If one of them doesn't want to eat, right, or like they're taking too long to eat, that usually is what triggers me because, as you know, like we're always on a schedule. So it's like, hey, we got to go. You got to brush your teeth. I got to get everybody ready. You're not the only one here. So finish your food, finish your food, finish your food, finish your damn food. You tend to escalate in my situation. And so I'm always looking for ways to be a calmer, use a calmer voice to speak to them. That's my issue. And that's how I try to be a better person, a better parent. And what do you think are the goals of parenting? I guess it fluctuates, but people have asked me like, oh, what do you want your children to be when they grow up? And I say, I don't want anything for them. I want them to be what they want to be. I want them to find themselves. So I think the goal for a parent is to teach them independence and to discover who they are as people. My job isn't to impose my own views on them and want them to do things that I think they should do or things that I think that they're good at and continue that. So an example here being that my oldest daughter is really good at soccer. So she plays soccer, but I always encourage her and I tell her, what do your friends do? If they do other things, you can enroll in those things as well. So right now she's interested in gymnastics because one of her friends does gymnastics. So if suddenly she doesn't want to play soccer anymore because she'd rather do gymnastics and maybe she doesn't have the time to do the soccer, like I'm okay with walking away from that. So my goals, the goals as parent will fluctuate based on the goals that my children have because I don't want my goals to be their goals. I want them to be able to have their own structure. I read an article just, I think yesterday about the tiger moms is what they called it. You want to put your children in everything and you need them to excel at everything that they do. You wake up at five in the morning, you take one here, you're doing this when they, after school, you got to take one to this kind of practice, another one to another practice. And like, you're constantly trying to keep them doing these things, which costs an arm and a leg also like to get them in all these programs. But your children might not even be into any of these things. They might just be doing it for you. My two girls were playing tennis. Suddenly, one day they said they didn't want to play tennis anymore. So they don't play tennis anymore. That's interesting. I think, and someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Tiger Mom is actually a racially charged term. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Thanks for telling me that. I think I read some like parenting thing about some Asian American woman talking about how Tiger Mom was, I don't know. If it offends someone, it's fine. I certainly was not meant in the spirit of offense. Is being a parent the most important job that one has on earth? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You're the example, right? They're constantly looking at your behavior and what you do. And they often do what you do. So you're shaping people, whether you like it or not. So if your job or role as a parent is to help mold these little people, then I think you should hold yourself in a higher regard because they are always watching. And they do learn and they do things to their siblings or to other people that they might see you doing. And they also go and they tell their teachers all these things that they are doing at home. And so you do have an example to set every single day. So what I told you earlier about every day I wake up and I tell myself, how do I be a better person? I tell this to my kids also. 
I tell them, how can we be better to each other? And I tell the girls, you know, my son, he's still a little to kind of comprehend it, but he's getting there. So you need to be nicer to me. I need to be nicer to you. You need to be nicer to your sister. So one of the girls, how do you and I have a better relationship? What can we do today to be better with each other? So at least they're thinking about these things also because they know that dad is talking about them. And so they are encouraged to do it also. I think that's the answer that most people would safely give, right? That being a parent is the most important job that you can do on earth. But let me ask you this question. So let's say the displaced ends up getting the recognition that I think it deserves and is read by millions of people and affects millions of people. Is it more important for you to affect three people a lot or to affect millions of people a little bit? Because you might change the course of millions of people's lives with something that you write or something that you do or something that you create that has nothing to do with your role as a parent. Is that not more important? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's not more important to you, but is it more important to the world? A friend of mine was mad at me when I first started talking to her about having children. She was a colleague of mine that I did a lot of work with like prior to me having children. And she said, no, you can't have kids. Your work is too important to the world. You're doing all this scholarly research on the city of LA and you're creating different ways of examining the city through all my different mediums because I also curate art shows, but I've done like nonfiction, fiction, philosophy. I've done a lot of different genres. And she said, you need to continue doing stuff like this. When you have children, you're not going to be able to do any of these things or you're not going to have time to do it. I remember in that time, I was like, well, I'm going to have to figure out a way to do it. And I do have a lot of friends who are artists who do not have children for this specific reason. Like they feel like their work is more important than having children and that children would get in the way, which I understand that school of thought also. I'm not against it. You know, everybody has a different process and methodology for that. But I guess like in a hypothetical situation, if it was like a choice, if I continue to do work or not do work because of my children, I would choose to do things for my children and raise them in a way that at least I think is important for them versus my work. Sure. The reason I asked you this question and then challenged you on it was that I think this was also part of my central problem with this book is that it reduces this idea of parenting being the most important job that you will ever do to a binary question of like, is it or isn't it the most important thing that you will ever do? And the answer is it's complicated. And it also doesn't necessarily get in the way of anything that you want to do. A lot of the parents who feel like they're bogged down by their kids, if you were not doing much for the community before, this is probably a better thing for you to be doing because raising good people is good for the community. But if you were doing great community work before, community work is hard and having kids is hard. And there are plenty of people out there who are able to do both, including both of the people on this podcast. I definitely have less time for some of the stuff. I can hang around in theater rehearsals for less time. I can review less things than I used to, but I still manage to get some things done. And I know that you do too. And so I think it's not a binary decision. You can do many things in your life that are important. So Shannon Carpenter, I'm sorry. I just was so, I don't know if the word is offended, but just like put off by the idea that men who stay home with their kids need to be pumped up as masculine heroes. The fact that you, Rodrigo, stay home with your kids is really of no consequence to me as a fellow intellectual. Like what you do with your family is your business. And, you know, you're also able to produce your work and you're also able to participate in things like this and the many other things that you do. I don't think you need to be told that you're a hero for doing that. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. Do you think parenting sucks? <laughs> Sometimes it does. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sometimes parenting sucks. Sometimes you don't sleep enough. Sometimes there's a lack of appreciation from your children. So, yeah, I like your response earlier. Like there's both. You have good days, you have bad days. Sometimes it sucks, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you wish you could do other things, but you're doing something else. Or sometimes you're in the middle of doing something and you can't. Yesterday I was doing a book club via Zoom for the displaced. And two of my kids had to poop at the exact same time. And one of them was pooping upstairs, one was pooping downstairs, and I needed to wipe their butts. And they kept saying, I need to go poopy, I need to go poopy. And it was like, oh, man, you guys suck right now. But it's all part of the process. So there are periods where it sucks, for sure. Like when I go to the car wash and then like not even like an hour later, they're eating in the car and they drop stuff in the car. I'm like, oh, it's totally sucked. So, yes. I guess maybe I read more into this book than maybe I should have. That's the answer that I would have given if you would ask me the question that like, yes, sometimes it sucks. But there's also this narrative that it's the greatest joy that you can have, which is also true. Practicing guitar sometimes sucks, but being able to play guitar is awesome. And the two things are the same. And you have to do one to get the other. And yeah, wiping another human being's ass is not like the greatest thing you can do with your life. But it's important that they have clean asses so that they can grow up to be healthy and learn how to wipe their own butts and other people's when they have their own kids or decide to be nurses or whatever they want to do. But I was thinking like, why in our society is this such a central narrative? I mean, it's like, if you were ever on a panel discussion with a bunch of strangers or on a podcast with a guy you don't know, and I said, does parenting suck? You're going to say yes, because it's the stock answer. But why is that? Why is everyone going to agree with that answer? And I think it's this sort of American Puritan lingering fundamentalism that anything worth doing is bad and is hard and is difficult. And if it's not difficult, it's probably not worth doing. I mean, these are people who left where they lived and decided to move to the United States, which was pretty much the same decision as if today you decided to go move to the surface of the moon. You know, it was a hostile environment where there was no guarantee of their own survival. And this, I guess, work ethic, along with a, you know, really healthy immunity to smallpox is what helped them survive out here. And that that is, I think, pervaded our culture in ways that is insidious and also kind of hilarious in this, like, we have to pretend that we hate to do something that is difficult, even though sometimes doing difficult things is fun. <laughs> so... There's my soapbox on that one. I want to tell you, I thought about it just a few days ago. The thing that sucks the most, because I know for me what sucks the most, is having to take one of the kids to a bathroom in a public facility. Because you have to get close to the toilet and you're like down on your knees and you're like, don't touch anything. And it's sometimes these bathrooms are like terrible and they smell and there's poop already in the toilet and you got to put your kid and your face is so like close to a toilet. This is definitely like the suckiest part of being a parent is doing all this stuff in a public setting. See, Rodrigo, you should have just had two boys. <laughs> no, it's my son is like, that's the issue when he has to pee like in a urinal and I'm like close to a toilet. It's just like, oh my God. So I pick mine up and I just sort of hold him in the air next to the urinal. I try to do that with him and he can't. He needs like the stability or he'll sit, but he can't do that. I've tried with him. He can't do that. What's your son's name? Nicholas. Nicholas, I hope that someday you find this podcast as an adult and enjoy this little discussion. <laughs> oh, yeah. And just to continue with that real quick. Yesterday when he finished doing 
his poopy business when I was doing this Zoom call. He says, oh, daddy, look, it's so big. Come look at it. It's such a big poopy. <laughs> and he's like measuring it with his hands, like his fingers. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to go clean like my son's poop while <laughs> I'm literally like giving a workshop of this place. Although, aren't you a little proud of him? I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you taught him well to be proud of his own poops. Cool, like identified the big poops. Got it. Yep. All right, so we're going to come back next week with Rodrigo Rivera de Ebre. We're going to talk about his amazing book, The Displaced. The Book Society podcast is produced by me, Lucas Cantor Santiago, and edited and also produced by Santiago Ramones. If you like this podcast, please rate us and review us. It really, really helps the show. It only takes a few seconds, and it's really, really awesome. And the other like specific thing that I noticed in this book was he seems to get punched in the balls by his kids a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and that's not normal. <laughs>